The cutters of the cake, Eddie, uh, Bogdan, are you a cake cutter as well? Making sure the cake's not any bit larger than it's supposed to be. All the cooks, the chefs, everybody, thank you all so very, very much. The dishwashers, where are the dishwashers? Oh, Mike, way to go, Mike. Look at those, let's see those hands, let's see those dishpan hands, that's just amazing. Well, thank you all again. We're going to still need you before the night's out, but thank you all. Thank you. 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 That's right. So, what about me? You've got to stop that. Stop that. All righty. Well. We are going to take a moment to uh, recognize some special graduates for this year's class. Uh, they, are, they are winners of the Summer Come Always Award. <laughs> now, how many of you attended Alpha for 10 weeks? You made, personally made all 10 weeks of Alpha. I need my assistant. Where's my wife? Oh, there she is. Okay. Thought she'd left me. So... Okay, now, before we do that, I want to, do we have any past recipients of perfect attendance? They've received either a, uh, a t-shirt or, or something else. Would you just stand for a moment and let us recognize your amazing accomplishments? <laughs> amazing. No. Right, that's right. So, if you have perfect attendance for the second time, we just want to thank you for being here the first time. So, um, so 10 weeks, if you made it to all 10 weeks of Alpha, or how many of you made it to nine weeks of Alpha and one of the retreats? Nine and one retreat. Nine and one. Okay, so if you made it to nine and one retreat or you made it to all 10 weeks, come on up and be acknowledged by receiving... <laughs> receiving your... I survived 10 weeks. Here, this great t-shirt, suitable for wearing. Where's our, where'd the band go? We need the... Congratulations, Mason. Congratulations, Jeff. Congratulations, Leslie. Anna, yay. Denise, congratulations. You're welcome. Oh, yeah, yeah, Chuck, yeah. I'd probably get him a large. No, no, I, I, th I get him a large. Yeah, that's Chuck. Yes, ma'am. Pete. Extra large. I think this is a large. Yes. You have to stand up or I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> There it is, give it up for Peter, everybody!
All right. Okay. Now, do we have anyone yet? I mean, this is like the magna cum summa cum always award. You attended all 10 weeks of Alpha and at least one of the sessions of the Alpha weekend. Anybody here like that? All right, come on forward for getting all that information. Every bit of Alpha information, you get a box of Alphabet cereal. Hannah, come on, Hannah. You, I know you had perfectly perfect attendance. Yeah. Way to go, Justin. Thank you, lovely. Well, that's amazing. That is just amazing. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I need all of you to, you need to do me a favor, please. Um, Post has discontinued alphabets. Post serials. You need to call them for me. I've already called them. Um, I need lots of people to call Post and tell them they need to recontinue, recontinue alphabets. So if you'll help me with that, that'd be great. But, you know, we've had lots of past attenders of Alpha that have have done extremely well in life. And I think part of that's because of their attending the Alpha course. So I want you all to, to, to meet a couple of people. Abraham Lincoln actually attended Alpha many years ago. Now, you have a questionnaire tonight that we'll hope, but he, on his questionnaire, this is what he said. He said, attending the 10 weeks of Alpha was my inspiration to complete the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Ah, yeah, here's another famous or infamous graduate of Alpha. And, and on his questionnaire, this is what President Clinton wrote. He says, as much as I love alphabets, I did not inhale them. So you have to. Up oh, here's another infamous dude right here. Nick Saban actually completed the Alpha course. You can see here he's, he's hoisting it there with the National Championship Trophy. And this is what Nick wrote on his questionnaire. He says, he says, not only am I proud of completing the entire Alpha course, the serial has been a great way of teaching my players to spell. So, I know, I thought you would appreciate that. Now, this is one of the oldest Alpha graduates here. Quite an accomplishment for this, for this individual. Oh, that's right, they changed the name of the state to Alphabama. I forgot to say that. But here is a graduate, Frank Enstein, uh, perfect attendance, October 31st, 1917. Um, you can see him making his way up the stage and proudly displaying. Now, he's not exactly the most handsome person on the planet, but it's amazing the transformation over the 10 weeks that we saw in this man. Not just his spiritual uh, change, but his physical his physical appearance, just this is awesome compared to what walked in 10 weeks prior. And so if you, are, if you are weak or queasy of stomach, you may want to turn away now just for a moment. But here it is. Oh! <laughs> it's Cliff Vogelstein. 
Wow. This is, this is. Uh, let me get that off of there real quick. I apologize for keeping that up too long. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't here this time. I had to use somebody somebody knew. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, we do really appreciate you guys being here for all of these weeks. Now, look, we're not, we're not done. If you'd like not to be done, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that... Um, you know, life following Jesus Christ is, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and to know Christ, to grow in Christ, even to, to grow in your journey, wherever you may be, curious, convinced, or committed, wherever you may be, um, if, if you have been, if you feel like you have learned something, something inside of you has been sparked and that you desire to know more, well, I could not encourage you, I could not encourage you more than to continue and to be a part of, of what will continue next week in terms of beta. And that's just a follow-up. Next week, we're going to start studying a small book um, that we've actually quoted from on a couple of occasions here in Alpha, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And it's going to be about five or six more weeks we're going to go forward with that. So if you would tonight, if you would like to continue, and I hope you will continue, it's going to look just like this. It's going to be dinner before and then a talk and some probably spending more time at our tables. And so actually we will be spending more time at our tables and just you're listening to someone uh, just monologuing like I do. So if you would, please, if you'd like to come Please fill this out. If you don't fill it out, but you come anyway, that is great. We would just love to see you continue. Um, and so tonight as we talk about how do I make the most of the rest of my life. Again, I, I, you know, last week we talked about what the importance of the church is. The church of Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. And I, I hope it was clear last week that we saw that the church is people. The church is not a building. The church is the people of God. Those who are, have been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And as I said just a moment ago, the Christian life is, it just gets, I, as, as I have told you guys, 46 years ago, I surrendered my life to Christ. And I am, I'm more excited today about being in, in Christ, I believe, than I was 46 years ago. Because the more you know him, the more exciting he becomes and the and the more you just find out more and more about life, that Jesus, when he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, that's what we have experienced in the midst of cancer diagnoses, in the midst of death, in the midst of difficult, difficulty, hardship, economic issues, we have found Christ more than sufficient. And so we are so hopeful that you will continue with us. We're on page 62 of the manual. If you'd like to turn there, I don't know how much time I'm going to spend there this evening, but we started 10 weeks ago or 10 sessions ago with this question, is there more to life than this? And I asked the question, how many of us have actually spent our lives either reading or examining the Bible in any form or fashion? And you may recall, if you were here on that first week, that very few of us, less than 10 of a room that night, I think of 140-something, if I'm not mistaken, um, raise their hand. And then I asked if there was, if you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat and you're hoping it was going to be good. And if you were here, you remember almost every hand in the room went out, went up. 
and I introduced you to I introduced you to uh, the dash and the line. I introduced you to wheelbarrows. I introduced you to being in Adam and in Christ. I introduced you to receiving the gift. I introduced you to a lot of things that I hope you will never forget. Um, and my hope is that what has been struck in this introduction to Christianity is a growing hunger to find out what does God have to say about me? What does God have to say about himself? And how can I know him more through the Bible? And that's actually why we continue with beta. So there can be even greater opportunity for us together to learn more of what God has to say about how he cares for us and who he is. You know, we've talked a lot in this class about C.S. Lewis. Remember, he was a Lewis... PhD in many things, ancient English literature. Uh, he has some really interesting pithy quotes, and I want to just bring a few of them tonight just to remind us about him. He says this, and I think you would agree with it. We all want progress, right? Everybody wants to progress. But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man or the woman who turns back soonest is the most progressive. Now, that just makes sense. If I, knew, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, why am I going to continue to do the thing that has just not been satisfying, has not scratched the itch inside of me? And that's what happened to C.S. Lewis. He was surprised by joy. That was actually the name of one of his books, surprised by joy. It wasn't happiness. It wasn't his circumstances. He was surprised by when he discovered, when God revealed himself to him, an internal joy that seemed to get him through every challenge of life. And so the question that I had to ask myself, and I think every one of us have to ask ourselves, is Is it possible that you're, you've been on the wrong road? And there's this road called in Christ that it, we need to get out of a particular road that's leading us to destruction, right? Jesus said there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. There's a way that seems right, but the end is destruction. Now, if, if what Christ is saying is the truth, if what the Word of God is saying is the truth, I think Lewis is one that is helping us here. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road as soon as you find out you're on the wrong road. The problem I have with that is admitting I could possibly be wrong. Admitting I possibly could have lived my life up to this point believing, sincerely believing, but believing the wrong thing, going down the wrong road. Lewis also said this. He said, remember this, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither aim at heaven okay the line and you'll get earth the dash thrown in aim at earth and you'll get neither jesus said if you seek first heaven the kingdom of god and living righteously all these other things in the dash will be added to you because lewis like so many in this room really have realized that no amount of financial success no amount of academic achievement no amount of earthly accolades actually can 
as I said earlier, scratch that internal itch, that God-shaped hole that is filled only by the person of Jesus Christ. Lewis also said this, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, okay, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the dash can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I mean, think about that. Now, I mean, there are many of us in here, I mean, we're multiple ages, we've had different experiences in life, but I, I think you would be hard-pressed to say, yep, I got everything I ever wanted. I'm set. Thank you very much. First off, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't endure this for 10 weeks if that were the case. I mean, I know the meal's good, but the indigestion that I give you afterwards, you just could not sustain continuing this. But this is what, if, if what the Bible says is true, this is what God does. He brings us to that place of need where nothing can satisfy us. No amount of, of family joy, no new children, no new marriage, no new job, no new anything can actually satisfy. And this is what Lewis realized as well. If I find in myself a desire, a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... Does it just make sense? I must have been made for this, for another world. Then he finally said this. He said, he who plans for this life, but fails to plan for the next, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. See, because if life is more than just this 60, 70 years or less, and there's much more here, how, how much sense does it make that we would spend everything here when there's a whole lot more here that God says is to, is to come? The question is, where will this take us? Where will this take us? And if what the Bible says is true, it depends on my choice. Either my way, I mean, Frank Sinatra sang it loud and clear, a very famous song, but it is the wrong song. It is the wrong song. And so, so what does Jesus have to say about this in terms of what we've heard from Lewis? He said this. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I was, I was, um, I, I don't pay for Fortune magazine. I don't read Fortune magazine. But it comes to my office anyway. I don't know why, um, but I was looking today. I think there's something like 20 some odd hundred billionaires in the world. Um, and I didn't see my name there, um, but, but all the names that I saw, nobody had the whole sum of it. Nobody. I mean, some people had like Elon Musk had $217 billion, um, and then you'd go down the list of, you know, Bill Gates and all these Zuckerbergs and all these other people. Um, but nobody had it all. Jesus said, what is a prophet or man if he's got it all? Everybody goes to zero except you. For that long. But what does it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and, and that happens? Because that's what's going to happen. If what the Bible says is true. 
And I, I think you're seeing that when you sit there and you look in the mirror and you see an aging face and you see an aching heart, could it be that God is opening our eyes to the reality of life? That without him, it does not make sense, even if you gain the whole world, of which no one gains. So how we make the most of the rest of our life is by living in the dash, expecting and expectant for the line, which is living now with a deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, getting to know him more, getting more excited about life and the fallenness that it is and sharing that life with others that they would know this hope that is found only in Jesus. A prophet, a prophet that comes not from the dash, but a prophet that exists in the dash and a prophet that exists on the other side of my last heartbeat forever. That is God's promise. And, and some of you, you know, over the course of these 10 weeks have, have said, okay, I'm done with Adam life. I, I want to be in Christ. There are several of you who have done that. And whatever your age may be, you're a newborn. Okay. You're just brand spanking new in, in, in Jesus. So you don't have to wear diapers or anything, but thankfully, well, some of us, uh, anyway, let's go on. But, um, but you've just been born. Uh, you're born in, we've been born into a new family. And like I said, though we may be naturally mature and very accomplished in our trade, when it comes to spiritual things, we're just starting out. And that's okay. Because it doesn't matter whether you've been in Christ 10 seconds or 10 decades. You're no more in Christ after 10 decades, if you're still on the planet, than you are after 10 seconds. Born is born. Like we're talking about marriage, marriage is marriage. You're no more married the moment after you say I do than you are 40 years after you say I do. What's happened? You've just matured. You've just grown in relationship. You've just gotten to know that other person more and more and more. And that's what the Christian life is. Immediately born of God can't be any more born of God that you are than the moment God saves you. You and I just grow and grow and grow in maturity. That's, what we, that's the way we experience the life that Jesus Christ has offers to us in, in his own life. Something Annette said years ago, and I, that I, it sticks with me, and I, I, I bring this at every alpha because I find this is a sinister... When we talk about in week seven, how do I resist evil? This quote is going to be very helpful for those of you who have said, no more to Adam, I surrender my life to Jesus. This is what Nett said. Did you take this slide off? No, there it is. Okay. When we first surrender our lives to Christ by faith, we walk by feel. Then as we mature in him, we start to walk by faith. Now, what does that mean? I think some of you have been around long enough know what that means. Like, for example, when... And, and I know you'll relate to this. When, when you first, if, you, if you're in Christ, when you first surrendered your life to Christ, there was something of a, like a buoyancy. I mean, you just felt lighter things. And you didn't want that feeling to go away. But all of a sudden, that excitement started to kind of wear off. And so what do you do? 
you go find that prayer to pray again. It's like you just kind of pump up the feelings that you have. Again, I'm grateful for feelings. I love feelings. I love good feelings. I don't like, I don't like bad feelings. But I love good feelings. But what God does is so that we will grow beyond the feelings is he will kind of let those feelings wane so that we will walk in the truth of faith, right? The righteous shall live by faith. And the feelings come sometimes and the feelings don't come sometimes. So whether or not you feel like you are who you are, you are who you are regardless of whether you feel that way or not. That's true physically and that is true spiritually as well. And our emotions go like this. Our feelings go like this. But who we are never ever wavers. And that is the faithfulness of God. And he wants you and me to grow in him in spite of how we feel. That's true of so many ways, areas of life. And it's certainly true of the Christian life. So how does, how does, faith, how does faith continue to grow in me? How do, I, how do I exercise my spiritual faith muscles? Well, here's something that the Apostle Paul says. He said, faith comes from hearing. Faith shows up from hearing and hearing shows up by the word of Christ. Okay, so faith, which is a gift from God, you and I don't conjure up faith. Even faith is something that God gives to us. Even the ability to believe, which is faith, comes as God's gift to us. He gives us all of that. So we could also say this, knowing God comes from hearing and knowing him comes from the word of Christ. It grows from the word of Christ. Trusting him comes and trusting him grows and falling in love with him comes and falling in love with him grows and desire to serve him comes and desire to serve with him, serve him grows and understanding comes and understanding grows from the word of Christ. Now, it does not say this faith comes from reading. Even the hearing of God's word is a gift from God to us to be able to hear it. So if you're different today than you were 10 weeks ago or six weeks ago or whatever, that is the work of God putting in you the ability and the desire to hear. That's God intimately pursuing you for himself. Not some institutional cattle call. He is calling you by name to know him. To know him, to trust him, to love him, to serve him. And then in doing that, you know him more and trust him more and love him, learn, love him more and serve him more. And that comes through the word of Christ. So this book that God has given us is huge. But I need the spirit of God himself to reveal to me that I can hear it beyond my ears, that I hear it with my heart. The, the thrill of getting in this book and not just reading it, but having it read me is, is wonderful. Having this book read me and having me capable of hearing what God has to say to me, to, to teach me, to train me, to rebuke me, to correct me, to all of those things I need so that I can grow in relationship with him. The problem that we have so many times is that we live so much in our emotions 
And when the emotions wane, what we do is we say, well, this must not be real. Uh, this must have just been some passing fancy. Maybe something they put in the food. I'm not sure, but it's, it just couldn't be because I don't feel it anymore. Can I tell you, remember, remember two things I had shared with you guys if you were here in week seven that, that Satan does. One is to keep us out of Christ, to keep us out of the wheelbarrow, okay? To keep us in Adam. The second thing he does is that once we have come, once we've surrendered our lives to Christ, to try to keep us as, as incapable of growing and trusting him as he possibly can. To not grow in our faith. To keep us hamstrung, if you will, from really growing and knowing Christ more and more and more. And how does that happen? It happens through our circumstances. So we either let our circumstances, if you're in Christ, hear me, you either let, you and I either let our circumstances define who we aren't, or we let our circumstances define who we are. Did you understand what I said? Because I'm not sure I did. Hey, we either let our circumstances define who we aren't. If I'm in Christ, I will let my circumstances say, you must still be an Adam. Those things wouldn't be happening to you. You wouldn't feel that way. See, the way we make the most of the rest of our lives is not believing that our circumstances that we don't like are going to define who we are. What defines who we are, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. What defines who we are, better yet, who defines who we are, is the one who has done everything to bring us to himself. He defines who we are, and therefore God wants us to define ourselves as he as he defines us. And so what we need to see is something that Paul again wrote to the church at Romans and how that at Rome and how that changes us. He says he says I urge you therefore brothers sisters in view of God's mercy. Okay, not in view of your goodness not in, not in view of the kind of day you've had. I urge you in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, to keep presenting yourself. This is the continuous present tense of the word. To present your bodies and to keep on presenting your bodies. In other words, hang out with God. Live in front of God. Ex- understand that if you're in Christ, he's in you. You are in him. You are his and he is yours. To get, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, what is a holy sacrifice? Okay, we're not talking about, you know, you're throwing yourself into the fire or anything like this. It's a presentation of ourselves. Then I'm saying, Lord, my life is yours. I give up my life for your life so that I can have a much... Again, Christ's life for my life is like trading in a, uh, a 1968 Pinto... Okay, for a 2022 Lamborghini and somebody pays all the expenses for it. Okay, that's, that's the trade. Anybody want to do that trade? Yeah, Jesus Christ, because the Pinto is an overstatement of what you need to get with me. Okay, some of you don't know what a Pinto is. You think that's a bean. Is it? Okay, it's a bean. That's a, okay. Like, what is a Pinto? Okay, a Yugo, did that help? A Yugo, would that, that, that better? Okay. An Oldsmobile Cutlass. All right. All right. So, so 
So he wants to present ourselves and Lord, I am a constant presentation of Lord, I need you. That's what it is. I need you. I need you. I need you to I need you to live in the midst of this issue I have with this friend. I need you to issue in this issue I have with work. I need you to live through me the issue I have with my own my body, my health, this issue I have with the way I'm thinking. I need you. That's why I offer I continue to offer myself to him. The way I think, the way I feel, the way I choose. All those things, many of which we talked about in the weekend. And he said, and don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like you thought. Don't live like you lived when you were in Adam. Because you don't live there anymore. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove the will of God. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will for our lives is good. It is acceptable. It is perfect. It is what he has for us that we cannot procure for ourselves. That is his promise. And he wants us to know that. He wants me to know that. So I make the most of the rest of my life by, again, knowing him and trusting him and learn, learn, loving him and serving him. So, and so and, and this is what's, what I hope is assuring to us is that Growth in Christ, if you are in Christ, it's, it's an organic growth. This is not Jack and the Beanstalk stuff. If you're familiar with Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Seeds go out the window. In the middle of the night, you know, you've, you've got a beanstalk that goes up to the, he to the heavens where there's a golden goose and uh, a big giant that doesn't want you to have that, right? You're familiar with the story. If you're not, you don't need to be. But it basically, it's just... So the, the Christian life is organic in its growth. It take, you put an acorn. Okay, you see this. You live in New Orleans. You've seen this. Acorn in the ground. You didn't see the acorn go on the ground. But the next thing, about maybe 10, 15 years later, you see this sidewalk like this, right? Because that stinking little acorn wouldn't just stay a stinking little acorn. It grew and it toppled Thousands of pounds of concrete sidewalk, you know, ripped out pipes. It just, you know, just went all over the place. And that's kind of a picture of the Christian life. We're, we're, we're born into Christ and the more we grow, the Christian life is organic. We grow and we grow and we grow. Sometimes we grow in spurts and sometimes not so much. But it's organic it takes time, just like a relationship takes time. The more you, you have to spend time with the person. You can't say, oh, I know them after a 20-minute conversation. You, you, the more you know them, the more you understand. And that's what happens. The more we ingest this God who is now living in us, the more we grow and grow and grow. This is what Paul's prayer was to the, the church at Ephesus. This is what he said. He says, and I pray that you... Okay, these are those who are in Christ. He's praying this for those who are in Christ. Being rooted and grounded, there's that word, being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints. We talked about that. That's you who are in Christ to grasp, to grasp what? To be able to grasp this, try to grasp this. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you, I might add. And to know this love, what love? First John 
Chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses our ability to naturally know something. That's what that's saying. That you know something beyond your ability to naturally know it. That's a supernatural, God-given knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why? Because you're rooted and you're grounded in love. Who is love? God is love. You're rooted and grounded in God. And in such, we have power together with one another. Again, the importance of one another. You just, we cannot do the Christian life without one another. So that we can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ. And to know him with a knowledge that surpasses our natural ability to know anything. So that we be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now look, there's lots of things that you and I like to be filled up with. But they do not satisfy, ultimately. I was thrilled when the Saints won the Super Bowl. But it still didn't do it. That's why they do it every year. They try to do this thing. We try, we go to, I mean, what's your favorite restaurant? You don't have to tell me, but, uh, but whatever it is, you go there. And is that the last time you ever ate? Did you just didn't eat again? No. Because it filled you for just a little while to a certain extent. What this God of love does, this one who created all things and created you, says, I want to fill you with the fullness of me. Now, you think about the most fulfilling personal relationship you have ever had. And then you multiply that times your ability to grasp being loved that highly, that deeply, that widely, that longly. And it just doesn't make any sense to you. That's the God of love. And he wants us to know him that way. The way we make the most of the rest of our lives is by putting ourselves in a position to constantly know him and receive and understand this you know one of the most the prayers i pray more than anything else as a follower of jesus it's that one i mean if this is the truth why would i not pray this lord you've rooted and grounded me in love so i want to experience the power with all my brothers and sisters in christ and i want to grasp how wide and long and high and deep your love is I want to know you, Lord, with a knowledge that, sur that surpasses my natural ability to know something. Because I want to be filled to all the fullness of you. If this is true, why would we not want that? Why would we settle for the baubles, the trinkets of this earth, when God has the vast riches of himself for us? Paul also goes on to tell the church in Coloss, or Colossae, bearing fruit in every good work. And it's interesting, bearing fruit in every good work. And what's the result of that? Increasing in the knowledge of God. So as I'm knowing him, trusting him, loving him, and serving him, that would be bearing fruit. I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a son, it's a daughter's obedience. And the more I obey him, the more I know him. The Christian life is about knowing him. I, I, I know I've shared this scripture with you two other times at least. When Jesus is praying to his father and he says, and this is eternal life. 
that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I, I guarantee you this is true. If the Bible's true, I can guarantee you this is true. If you and I set our lives on knowing Jesus Christ, that is all we need to know. Because in knowing Jesus Christ, he will increase your knowledge of whatever else you are doing. Did that make sense? I don't know if you believe it or not, but that makes sense. In knowing Jesus Christ, he increases our knowledge of any and everything we may be doing that he has us participating in, that he wants us to do. Okay. I'm not saying if you go to Harris tonight, he's going to show you how to work the slot machines. I, I don't think so. But maybe if you want to give all the money to some ministries or so, maybe so. But I'm, the more I know him, the more he focuses my life on what I'm doing as a mom, as an engineer, uh, as a salesperson, as an attorney, as a whatever you may be, as a teacher. That's, that's what I find in the scripture. And God has called us to examine ourselves, our lives, for the capability of living a fruitful life in Christ. Um, graduation always takes my time for me, so I have to kind of look here where I'm going to go. Okay, do this with me. Um, if you've got your, your Bible with you, would you turn to page 930? Page 930. It's, it's, if you're not in the Alpha Bible, it's Mark chapter 4, verse 13 through 20. Page 930. Now I'm going to run through this. Jesus is teaching a parable. Okay, a parable is a story to get across his point. We're going to be... I'm going to actually start in the first verse, okay? So the first verse, I'm going to, I'm going to just try to, I'm going to rush through 13, uh, 20 verses here, and maybe you guys can talk about this at your tables a little bit tonight, okay? You with me? Chapter 4 of Mark, the first verse, page 930. He says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And, his, and in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Okay, the seed is the word. 
and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the one on, ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, Jesus is telling a story here, a parable here, that he's explaining to his disciples that you and I have got to hear. I have got to hear this. So let's just take a look at this real quick. The four soils of Mark 4. The seed that fell by the roadside. The seed that fell into shallow soil. The seed that grows up among weeds. And the seed that grows in fertile soil. Now there are many ways to... Uh, let's just say interpret or to teach this. I'm going to teach it in just one particular way here. So let's look at the seed that fell by the roadside. So the seed on the roadside is that which just fell down. You heard it, but immediately it was taken away. It wasn't heard with interest or humility and immediately Satan took it away. Now that would not represent any of you here because you would not, as I said earlier, have endured this. For 10 weeks. But that's what he's saying. The seed that is sown by the roadside. It is taken. It just falls on the, on the surface. And is immediately snatched away by Satan. And then there's the seed in the shallow soil. Man, it comes up. It looks good. But the, the uh, soil is so shallow. When the sun beats upon it. It has no root in itself. It's got no place to go and get any nutrition, no water, and it dries up, and that's what happens to it. For a moment, it looks good. <clears throat> um, just allow me to say this, because um, you're not going to come up here and stop me. Um, <laughs> I hope not, at least. Um, <clears throat> I have seen so many people, again, we've done... This is our 39th Alpha. And I have loved every one of them and loved getting to meet everyone I've had the joy and the privilege of meeting and has sat through my presentations. Um, I have met so many people that are right here. They were excited. The feelings were all there, man. The feelings were good. Uh, they started out like a house of fire, but then here came, if you will, the scorching sun of tribulation and the feelings waned and the sorrows grow, grew and the difficulties persisted and they were gone. I don't know what God is doing with you or in you through this alpha. Could I beg you? Don't let that be you. (sighs) 
And then there's seed that fell among good soil, good, good soil, but it is ridden, riddled with weeds, riddled with weeds. And so that's what you got. You got a great weed garden. Um, and anything that was going to come from that seed of the word that was planted is choked out. All the nutrition is being stolen by the weeds, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the care for other things come and choke out the, the root and the, the seed so that it is unfruitful. Remember, one, to keep us out of the wheelbarrow, to keep us out of Christ, or two, to allow, oh, we're still around, but we're just letting the world just suck the life out of us. We're just so busy with our work. We're just so busy with whatever it is we may be so busy with. And so Jesus tells these three parables of the side of the road, shallow soil, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the care for so many things. But then there's a fourth fruit. See, and that is seed growing in fertile soil. And its discipline is hanging out with other Christians. Its discipline is, God, give me an understanding of who you are. I want to know you and I want others to know you. And I want to communicate with you. I want to experience the life and the life you've given me more abundantly so that my life is a fruitful garden that others can pick from and grow from and experience life from as well. And so this is the thing that I think we are faced with in this 10th week of Alpha. Where are we? Again, ultimately left between you and God. There's nothing more joyful. I can tell you, you can ask the people at your table, the, your table facilitators, there's nothing more glorious that in the midst of a fallen world, as, as Jesus said, as the, as the word says, that we shine like lights in a dark and hopeless world. That we, Jesus calls us the light of the world, those who are in Christ. You're light for a reason, so that people who are in darkness can see that light, experience that light, and know that light. So if I'm in that place, what are some of the things... I need to do, as I talked about, to have a growing and maturing relationship with him. Well, <clears throat> part of that would just be to work out in God's gym, okay, as we talked about. Just exercise your spiritual muscles in his word, in prayer, with others. It's just essential. <clears throat> it's just essential. Or these are the two things that happen. The seed gets choked out by weeds or... It was nice. It was a nice 10 weeks. I enjoyed that. It's nice. But what's next? What's next? Ken Boa, who's a brilliant man, he, <clears throat> and we have the, uh, this for, as a bookmark for you tonight to just take with you. He said some of the things that we need to do to, to be that watered, that freshly watered garden. He said this. He says, there is nothing, know this, remember and rehearse this. There is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. All of our efforts before God fall short of his character and righteousness. And just as none of our actions will make God love us more, it is equally true that there is nothing we can think, say, or do to make God love us less than he does. 
These are things you and I need to remember and rehearse. Again, and then two more. Growth in our relationship with God is not accomplished by our own attempts to create meaning and purpose. Now, what do people who are not in Christ have to do? You've got to grab for all the gusto you can in the dash because that's it. Well, actually, it's not it. Because there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but it's, the w- it's end thereof is death. It's eternal separation from God. So our responsibility is to walk in the power of the Spirit and not in dependence on our own efforts. That is, the more we get to know him, the more we trust, we trust him and the less we trust us. Fourth, our focus should not be deeds and actions, but on a relationship. Not a product, but a person. Not, not, on, not on actions or deeds, on a relationship. Because we will find ourselves only as valuable as the good which we believe we have just done. Or as invalu- or unvaluable as the lack of good deeds we Boa went on to say this. I know it's almost, I'm close to time, but wake up just for these few more seconds. The world, okay, those in Adam, define who we are by what we do. But the word of God centers on who we are in Christ and tells us to express that new identity in what we do. Being and doing are interrelated, but the biblical order is critical. What we do should flow out of who we are, not the other way around. Otherwise, hear me, hear this. Our worth and our identity are determined by achievements and accomplishments. And when we stop performing, we cease to be valuable. In God's sight, you could be a quadriplegic on life support and you could not be more valuable to him. See, we find our value in what we do. God says, oh no. I find your value in what I have come to make you. Will you be who I have come to make you? And then your value will be, value will be fixed in the dash and forever in the line. That's his promise. That is his promise. Okay. I got to stop. I got to stop. Well, I've got a couple more scriptures, but you'll have to come back next week for week 10. Um, um, To end this alpha, I just want to take us back to the beginning, back to the garden um, where God came down after Adam sinned. After Adam sinned, God came down and said, Adam, where you at? Where are you? And through the centuries, the question rings out to every one of us because every one of us has gone the way of Adam. He'd ask the question, where are you? And he would call you by name. Where are you, Blake? Where are you, Courtney? Where are you, Michael? Where are you, Alex? Where are you, Kimberly? Where are you? This is God through the centuries Asking this question to each and every one of us. Not because he doesn't know where we are. Just like he certainly knew where Adam was. But the question is, do you know where you are? 
I didn't know where I was. But he came and asked me. And I realized where I needed to be. And that he wanted me to be with him. He wants you and me to know where are you with him? Where are you with him? It's one of the beauties of the Garden of Eden and the very beauty of where we live. Did God know where Adam was? He certainly did. Did he know what Adam had done? Did he know how he'd screwed up? Yes, he certainly did. And what did God do in the garden? God, in spite of Adam, came looking for Adam, though he knew he had done and what he had done in rebellion against him. Does God know where you are? What you have done? The mess you have made? Yeah. And what has God done in here for the last 10 weeks? I think he's done and doing the same thing that he's done. He did in Eden those many years ago. He has come looking for every one of us. And the question is, what do we do with that? Um, there's a song written that's called, that says, uh, you got to serve somebody. We're going to serve someone. We're either going to serve in Adam or we're going to serve in Christ. We're going to serve God or we're going to serve ourselves. And God is offering to you and me a salvation that will save us, that will rescue us, that will give us meaning and purpose through the dash, no matter how difficult it becomes, and forever with him. Like wherever you are tonight, and again, I, I so hope that you will come back and be with us through beta. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a great time for us just to get down into the word again. But wherever, and if you're choosing not to continue, um, just keep asking and seeking and knocking and saying, God, if you're real and you really are coming for me, um, I want to know that because he will never, ever turn down that desire, that prayer. Do you know why? Because even the fact that you're asking that proves that he has put that question in your heart. Remember, a sense of his absence, an awareness that something's missing is a sign of his presence. And we must remember that. Well, on behalf of the entire Lakeview family, thank you all so much for the privilege you have given us over these 10 weeks. We hope you'll give us more of a privilege to be with you. We hope as well that whether you're continuing to beta or not, you will connect yourself to a gospel-centered church. You've got to do that if you want to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ in this God that says, I will never leave you. I will never turn my back on you. The God that says, I who have begun a good work in you will complete it until the day you see me face to face. That is his promise. So love you guys. We're so grateful for this time we've had with you. Hope to see you next week. Let's take a quick break and we'll get back to our table. So thank you.